reading citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. Ryan Sprague and Shane Hurd are in the house, as it were. We're happy to have you hanging out with us today. We'll be discussing yet another episode of History's Project Blue Book today, but announcements come first. Maureen Ellsbury and I are presenting a panel at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, Washington on Friday, March 15th, titled Real Life X-Files, Strange Stories of Real Paranormal Investigations. This event runs March 14th through the 17th at the Washington State Convention Center. For more information about the event and to buy tickets, go to emeraldcitycomiccon.com. Shane and I will be going to UFO Megacon at Laughlin, Nevada on March 30th. And as we keep saying, as the name implies, UFO Megacon is a pretty mega event. It is extremely long. It runs from March 24th through the 30th, and it features uh, 40-plus speakers. It's got a packed agenda that runs a week long, so it's pretty massive. There's probably something you'll find that uh, you know will pique your interest at that event. So check out ufomegacon.com for all the info on that event. Then, June 21st through the 23rd, Ryan Sprague and I will be speaking at AlienCon in Los Angeles, California. There might be some special Rogue Planet shenanigans happening there with Shane and Maureen, too. And we'll certainly be talking much more about AlienCon as we get closer. TheAlienCon.com is the event's website. That's where you should go to learn more about the event. And it's where you can get your tickets, too. And Ryan Sprague will be presenting at Michigan UFO Contact, September 20th and 21st, in Houghton Lake, Michigan. M-I-U-F-O-C-O-Ed, myufocon.com, is the website for that event. I don't think they've updated it yet with the 2019 info, so search for the event on Facebook to see the most up-to-date information about Michigan UFO Contact. Those are the announcements we have for today, so with those out of the way, let's get into this week's Project Blue Book discussion. If you haven't seen it yet, or if you're not familiar with this show, Project Blue Book is a new dramatic series on the History Channel this season. This fictional series is based on the U.S. Air Force's real-life official UFO study that ran from 1952 through 1969. Although this show is fictional, it draws on real Project Blue Book cases and other elements from UFO history and UFO lore, using those for inspiration. We're talking about Episode 7 today, an episode titled The Scoutmaster. And as we like to do, before we talk about the episode itself, Ryan is going to give us a brief overview of the real inspiration behind the latest episode of Project Blue Book. Ryan? Ooh, I will try to make this brief, guys, I promise. <laughs> so this, uh, this happened on the evening of August 19th, 1952 in Palm Beach County, Florida. The deputy sheriff received an urgent call from a family who had three frantic Boy Scouts in their farmhouse. They were claiming that their scoutmaster, D.S. Sonny Desvergers, uh, he was a hardware clerk and a ex-U.S. Marine, which we'll get to. Uh, he had gone into the thick brush of the forest to investigate some strange lights that they'd witnessed while camping. And he thought maybe it was a downed plane. He wanted to see if 
anyone was hurt, needed help. So he entered the thick forest with a machete to clear a path and he disappeared out of sight. The boys, they claimed that the lights started to pulsate a very bright red and they could hear their scoutmaster screaming in terror. So they bolt. Uh, these boys are 10, 11, and 12 years old. They're pretty scared at what's going on and they run to the nearest home to get help. And when the deputy sheriff shows up, the boys, Bobby Ruffing, David Rowan, and Charles Stephen, they look very scared, and they start to tell the authorities what had happened. And immediately, the deputy sheriff and the boys, they head to the site where they found Desverger's parked car, and they start shouting his name, you know, hoping to hear a response. And this went on for a while, and just about when they were ready to move on to another location – a man emerges from the trees in the forest waving a machete and he's incoherent, just babbling. And it was Disvergers and he looked terrified. So they get the machete away from him, thank God, and reluctantly they start to follow him to where these strange lights had been. And in a small clearing, they find his flashlight and close by they notice the grass was flattened as though someone had been lying on it. And a search turned up nothing really else too unusual at the time. But they marked the locations of the flashlight, the crushed grass with some twigs. And the three of the men and the Boy Scouts, they trekked back to the road. And then they brought Disvergers and the boys to the county sheriff's office. And Disvergers said that the hair on his forearms were singed and his skin was badly burned. And at the sheriff's office, he and the boys were requestioned. Uh, it was noted that Disverge's arms were reddened and his hair was, in fact, singed. And they also noted three tiny holes burned into his hat. Uh, this is when Disverger started to explain what had happened in the time that the boys left. And when he was found, you know, babbling with the machete, he claimed that when he entered the clearing where he'd seen the light, he noticed a nauseating smell and then the feeling of somebody or something watching him. He next experienced a sensation of oven-like heat coming from above. So he looks up and he couldn't see the stars in the sky and he's standing beneath this hovering object. Now, the object was circular. It was dull black with no seams. It was about 30 feet in diameter, he says, with a height of about 10 feet and a dome on top. And the bottom edge was glowing. So he feels immediate threat when he sees this thing. He starts to back away and then he hears this like like a hatch opening and a red flare light comes from the side of the object and it starts to move towards him. So he blocks his eyes from the light and he notices that the light turned into a red mist and completely enveloped him. He claimed that this is when he blacked out. When he awoke, he was leaning against a tree and his vision was severely hindered. He felt around and was able to grab the machete and stumbled his way back to the clearing of the road. And that's when he meets up with the authorities and the Boy Scouts. So eventually, by protocol, the case was handed over to the Air Force, which subsequently led to an investigation by Project Blue Book, specifically Chief Investigator Edward Ruppelt. Uh, so Ruppelt arrives in Florida. He takes down statements. He goes to this site, and he's able to obtain soil samples from the clearing where Desvergers claim the encounter took place. And 
the soil, it remained consistent, the, but the root structure of the plants in question were charred black, and the lower leaves had deteriorated as if by heat. So the only way the lab could come close to duplicating this effect was to place live clumps of grass in a pan of sandy soil and heat it about uh, 300 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's clear something of very high heat was out there or was planned to be out there, which we'll get to shortly. But uh, Rupel, he first found the boys and the scoutmaster to be very genuine, and the trace evidence left behind was very intriguing. But this case, as we'll find out, was pretty much basically labeled a hoax, which is where I'll stop talking and sort of let you guys hop in. Yeah. So we, thanks Ryan. Yeah. We've got so much in this case. There's, there's lots of interesting details. It's certainly a, a wild claim that's got, uh, you know, various details that really stem from the scoutmaster himself, but you've mm-hmm. got witness testimony, you know, as a, a front and center element of this case too. You've got, you know, the, the scouts who were involved and their scoutmaster. But let's talk about the episode before we get into some more of the details of this case itself. Shane, let's start with you. What did you think of how the historical incident was portrayed in the show? Yeah, I think there was, you know, typically there's like two story arcs, right? One is the uh, the UFO case of the week, this case, and then the kind of parallel story of what was going on with um, Heineck and Quinn and the general and the taking of that artifact. And so you kind of had these two parallel stories going at the same time. But as far as the case itself goes, I, I thought it was interesting that they selected this case because, um, I mean, you know, I had some, you know, weird stuff going on with it. But being labeled a hoax is kind of interesting. So they they profiled a hoax case versus, you know, just being committed to, you know, supporting the UFO, um, you know, possibility or. Right. or mm-hmm. And and I thought that was kind of interesting of them to do that. I was happy to see that, actually. And it was unexpected, you Me know, too. because certainly what we've been the, the picture that's been painted so far is this is a very pro UFO show and we're showing how our lead characters are being shown the, the UFO reality. So everything is sort of changing their viewpoint and, you know, leading them on their, on their path to become believers as it were, but mm-hmm. to, to show that not all cases investigated by blue book, certainly most of the cases investigated by project blue book were not unexplained. You know, that was not the majority of those cases and there were plenty of hoaxes and just completely garbage cases. So I'm glad they threw this one in here. It's a very complex case, first of all. But Ryan, what do you think of the portrayal in the show? Yeah, I mean, I I really like the, as Shane said, the other story arc happening with Quinn and Harding and uh, result. Resulti, I think his name is the uh, the double agent, as it yeah. were, which is really cool. They're doing this whole still dealing with this whole sort of Cold War espionage sort mm-hmm. of thing. But um, on on the flip side, with this case, this was one that um, you know I, I I'd heard of, but I kind of always veered away from it because of the the whole hoax aspect. Yeah. And you know, as we'll get to Disvergers, the actual guy was less than you know, an honest person as it were. But, um, I, I really enjoyed the kind of detective, um, Agatha Christie sort of feel to this <laughs> where you have 
Hynek at the end being like, all right, I'm going to explain this to you and we're going to show you exactly how this all went down. Right. So that, that was pretty cool. It was the first time we really saw Hynek in like detective mode. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool in terms of like the case itself. Um, it is interesting that we we have our first episode where it, it could turn out to be a straight up hoax. But then we also have probably the most famous explanation that Heineck ever came up with, mm-hmm. which was swamp gas. Right. So that was cool to finally mm-hmm. see the shout out to Heineck's uh, quote unquote swamp gas theory as well, even though it was never actually connected to this case. To right, for sure. No, the thing that was, I don't know. I will say, I think I found it mostly incredibly fun with what they yeah. did in this episode by, I don't know, I lost count, but they combined so oh, yeah. many different things into this one case. It, certainly yeah. these things didn't have anything to do with this case, but a lot of things from UFO history and UFO lore wound up tied up in this single case. And they've done that in previous episodes. And, you know, I do admire that. I think it's fun, you know, again, as a UFO geek, seeing these things brought in from UFO history that, you know, from our standpoint, from people who have researched this subject, identify it and go, oh, hey, they're talking about that thing. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But in here, I mean, we had things, you know, thrown into this case that, weren't ever a part of this case that didn't, didn't take place in this case. So like the double exposure photography, Mm -hmm. right? This guy hoaxing with the double exposure photography, um, the mention of the American Indian, um, belief of, of star people, Mm -hmm. the elongated skulls as extraterrestrial skulls and the the grave robbing (laughs) aspect that comes with that. The maybe nod to Travis Walton case, the missing for days, you know, and then showing up. Yeah, Yeah, it was just everything they could. They this was really a bathtub. Yeah. What is it? Throw in the kitchen sink. Yeah, exactly. She's shooting at the aliens, you know, with shotguns. It's like the Kelly Hopkinsville. (laughs) I know it's this is is where I'm uh, a little concerned, Jason, is, you know, those all could be their own episodes and maybe they will. Oh, for sure. Right. But it's interesting that the whole Native American elongated skull thing, I'm like, why? Why would you put this in connected to a hoaxed case? I understand, you know, the grave robbing aspect. Like, again, our main character, Des Vergers, is a very questionable character to begin with. But why even attempt going down that route with it? I, that's, that's kind of where they lost me in this episode, at Here's least. Here's my thought like on that, said, Ryan. It's fun. Yeah, go ahead. Here's go. my thought on that. Okay. If you're talking about, you know, people intentionally hoaxing some sort of, UFO extraterrestrial thing, you're putting that story together. Think about, you know, what is timely, what we see in present day. And that Mm -hmm. is something that we're currently seeing being done. So very good point. Yeah. If you're you're writing about that, yes, we see that. A lot of controversy. That's a hot button issue. So I can see maybe where they would draw on that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting I kind of have mixed feelings about this whole weaving in multiple component uh, components of of ufology and and specific cases in the storyline. And in a way, I can see it, you know, it gives sort of them artistic license to, you know, the fictional part to, you know, expand it and 
take what they need to make it exciting and interesting. And yet it's almost like an homage to the, you know, the facts of yeah. cases and, and, and history. So, I mean, kind of look at it. Are you insulted that they're twisting these facts or are you seeing it as though, well, this is kind of a cool way to weave in this whole mythology and fact together that so that they can create a, you know, coherent story with this. So I, th- I you know, I'm kind of, I have mixed feelings on that. Yeah, and I understand that, but I, I put myself in that position, and and Ryan certainly could because Ryan writes for TV as well. You know, if you're putting together a fictional show and you're writing about UFOs and you're you've got this loose storyline that you're mm-hmm. using in that episode, and you want to you know fill out this story, if you're a UFO guy and you're in that place and you get to write this story, you bet I'm going to say, oh, you know what? There's this other cool thing from from UFO history, and we could we could totally make that work in this situation. So, right. Oh yeah, right. good point. Yeah, and and plus, you know, it's a way of setting up you know future episodes as well. And just like you said, Ryan, maybe they will explore the whole elongated skull or crystal skull or something in, in a future episode. Well, so. And Ryan, to your point about you know some of these things certainly being able to stand as their own episode. You know, I think with this first season, and now we know that there's going to at least be a second season, but at the time they did these episodes, that certainly was not known. They didn't know. So, I mean, when you're in that unknown situation, I think you're trying to get it all in there. (laughs) Let's go Mm -hmm. for it, because this could be all we get. That's a really good point. And, I mean, just listening to David O'Leary, the creator, talk about every case, every episode. I mean, yes, we might be a little frustrated that he's kind of throwing everything in and mixing it around and see what comes out on the other side. Uh, His his excitement and passion for the UFO topic and Hynek's work in general is just like, it's so refreshing and good to see a tv writer who has to create a fictional story um be so excited about the ufo topic and really do his homework it reminds me so much of tom DeLong. you know a lot of people just because these people are in the entertainment business it doesn't mean they want to do right by a topic they find extremely interesting and intriguing just like we do so it's always a fine line you know when my work in the entertainment field too uh i cover controversial topics that a lot of people are would probably say you shouldn't be doing that like you you that's inappropriate or this or that but at the end of the day like you're getting your voice out there you're getting a message out there and that's kind of all we can hope for in terms of in terms of this yeah absolutely i love the fact that you know, UFO content is being mainstreamed and yeah, it's not going to be done perfectly or it certainly won't be done from a, you know, a a hardcore uh, ufology standpoint. It's going to be from an entertainment standpoint, but man, I love having access to that. Yep. Right. Because when we turn on the TV, that's what we're looking for, right? Where we see Mm -hmm. a TV show, something about UFOs, yay, something for us. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, listen to the, our podcast, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ryan, you, you mentioned the the, the hoax uh, aspect and, you know, a lot of the, the red flags and, and shadiness associated with this case. And again, it was great to see that they actually acknowledged that in this episode of the show. But let's talk a little more about some of the controversy involved in this case and what uh, some of that that hoaxing um, aspects are. You mentioned <laughs> in your summary, Ryan, uh, about the scoutmaster and his military background. Do you want to talk a little more about that? 
Yeah, a little shady. I mean, Disvergers, he was in the U.S. Marines, but he was dishonorably discharged uh, because he stole a car while he was in the Marines. And uh, so there you go. I mean, the guy's clearly, you know, he's got a little rap sheet going on at I this point. I think when point. he was and, describing uh, this to investigators, he, he even described it as saying that, like, he was less than honorably discharged. <laughs> less than honorably. Look, I mean, this, this is the reason we have security police in the military. Like, they are their own community and they have to police even their own people. So like I understand like stuff happens when you're in the military whether when you're not doing your service you're 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 doing your thing and things can happen. So I mean stealing a car I I know a lot of people who've stolen cars in their past. <laughs> so I mean that, yeah, I mean they're, that happens, they're 20 year old kids too, right? Exactly. You know, right. Like, That's exactly right. <laughs> And he's trying to do better by becoming a scoutmaster. Right. Let's know? put that out there. Just because somebody yeah. stole a car doesn't mean that that means they can't have uh, a UFO or an extraterrestrial experience, right? Exactly. Right. But, you know, on the flip side, we also have a lot of people in the town where this happened saying that he was known yep. to be like a tale teller, as yep. it were, too. So, Always and trying I, to outdo the past story and, yeah, really looking for attention. Yep. Yep. And anytime well, you investigate credibility of the reporting person, it is still a valid factor that you got to consider. Right. Shane, is that common in MUFON investigations, looking into the witness themselves? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not done surreptitiously without their knowledge or anything like that. But you have a discussion about, you know, what do they do? What is their background? You know, um, and I imagine if you had a really weighty case, something, you know, quite serious, you might go down the path of a background check. I mean, um, because, you know, under intense scrutiny, those things are going to come out. So better you know them in advance. Good point. Yeah. Control the story. Mm hmm. Before it controls you, I got, I got it. And also a big part of this story um, with th- with the hoax aspect, um, they showed their own version of it in the episode of Project Blue Book with the telegram to Hollywood and, you know, trying to, yeah. you know, secure some sort of deal with the story. That was actually an element in this case, not necessarily a telegram to Hollywood, but you know, wanting the newspapers to interview him and and perhaps buy his story. Very awkward the way this all came about because he was, you know, asking Project Blue Book, asking the Air Force for permission to speak to the press. Yeah. Yeah, which is always tough. I mean, when uh, media or entertainment immediately wants to latch on to a case like right after it's happened, that's that can be a problem. And that's mm-hmm. that happens, you know. We know, like... Travis Walton had to deal with that for a while before he finally said, yes, okay, fine. You can have the rights to my story. So I I imagine it can't be easy. And again, every person is different. We all handle situations differently. We handle traumatic situations, stress, and any adverse things in our life differently. So although it's not how I would react and most people would react to immediately after something allegedly traumatic happening – to then look at how you can profit off that. I guess some people might, but typically the response initially is just wanting to figure out what the hell happened, right? I mean, that's your first priority, like trying to figure out what the situation was, hoping that people don't think you're crazy, um, you know, trying to convince your family (laughs) of that, first of all, let alone everybody else in the world. 
but he also, because of that ridicule, wouldn't want to be very quick out of the gate to announce it to the world and just okay. inviting in more ridicule. Yeah. More ridicule and more scrutiny, too, I'd say. I mean, Rupel was able to stage like many ways that this case could have gone down yeah. and that it could have been a hoax. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do find it interesting. They never managed to definitively prove that it was a hoax. So right. while the show went that way and kind of Blue mm-hmm. Book's determination was that it was a hoax, they could never. Rupel did say later on in life, like, yeah, yeah, but we could never definitively prove it. So again, we're left in that gray area, which I think this TV show is doing so well. I agree with you. Yeah, and, good point. And you know, something else I'll point out is, in addition to Blue Book investigating this case, there has been a lot, of, a lot of different researchers who looked into this case. Um, a lot of UFO researchers. So there's there's a lot of literature out there for you to read more details about this case. And more, I guess, opinions, um, some more sad opinions regarding this case that came out, including possible allegations of you know, child abuse oh, that could have geez. stemmed with this case where the scoutmaster was being inappropriate with the scouts. And that's why the scouts were so weird with their testimony and just kind of going mm-hmm. along with it. Um, so, you know, that's just... Uh, a possibility that was that was put forth, but lots of research done into this case. So if you're interested in hearing more, I encourage you to go seek that out because plenty has been written about this case. Well, episode eight of Project Blue Book airs on February 26th, and that episode is titled War Games. So watch for that one. Well, citizens, as we wrap up this episode, we invite you to come join us in the Rogue Planet Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Rogue Planet. And let us know what you thought of the seventh episode of Project Blue Book or anything else UFO related that's on your mind. And please always feel free to reach out to us if you have questions, if you want to share a UFO experience you've had or anything else. We're all over social media. We have a contact form on the website or you can always email me directly. My email address is jason at rogueplanet.tv. And Ryan, do you want to share your email address? Uh, yeah, that would be spreg, S-P-R-A-G-U-E, 5-1 at hotmail.com. I love going with the ancient hotmail. Yes. <laughs> and what about you? Shane, Shane uh, is right in that alley. Shane, what's your email address? Yeah, yeah, I can copy <laughs> you. Mine's Hurdrance, H-U-R-D-R-A-N-C-C-H, at aol.com <laughs> Ooh, nice i roll with the best <laughs> you can find more episodes of unknown on apple Podcasts, stitcher google play iHeartRadio, and yes even youtube subscribe on your favorite podcast provider so you're notified when we publish new episodes and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review unknown on your favorite podcast platform it really helps the show get more exposure so does sharing the episode with friends that's the small favor we're asking you post these episodes all over social media and help introduce new people to unknown you can always find this show at RoguePlanet.tv because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. Big thanks to our talented friend and fellow Rogue Planeteer, Caleb Hanks, for the show's intro and outro music. Check out all his work at TheClerkChronicles.com. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Shane Hurd. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. Stay strange.